everyone and welcome to Teeth and Tales. I'm your host Dr. Shadi Manacheri and today's episode is with the wonderful Andy Acton who is one of the founders of FTA and in this episode we talk about everything you need to know as an introduction to practice ownership, what things to look out for if you are considering buying a practice and some of the misconceptions and some of the general mistakes that we tend to make as a profession. So I really, really hope you enjoy this episode and without further ado, let's get into it. Hi Andy, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good, thank you very much indeed. I'm very well. Are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm excited for this episode because it's slightly different and it's non-clinical, but it's equally as important to talk about as as everything else, because I think it's such an important topic that a lot of us um, think about and consider, but we don't know enough about it. You know, we're focusing on the clinical dentistry when there's all this other aspects to, to the profession as well. So before we get into all that, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got here? Yeah, sure. So my name is Andy Acton. Um, I'm one of the owners of um, a group of companies, but the one that I'm best known for is Frank Taylor Associates, and we value and sell dental practices. And that business started back in 1988, and I bought it in 2000 with my co-director and shareholder, Chris Trevins, and we're still in business together. In fact, we celebrated our 22nd year anniversary on Sunday. We bought the business 22 years ago this weekend, which was which was nice. Wow, congratulations. Um, That's almost as, as old as I am, as young as I am. <laughs> so if everyone needed to feel old, thank you for that. You've done incredibly <laughs> well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we, we kind of bought the business. And back then, um, there wasn't the open market there is today for buying and selling dental practices. It was very much done on the back of who you knew and, and you know conversations in you know coffee shops and pubs. Whereas now it's quite a well-developed open market. And what we've done over the years is we have added on services that we think are, are needed by dentists on the business side of things. So we value and sell dental practices. We have FTA Finance, which uh, is a commercial broker to help dentists arrange finance when they're buying dental practices, which is a critical part of that deal happening. If you haven't got the money, the deal doesn't happen. We have FTA Law as part of the group, which is a full-service law firm, um, deals with the transactional side of things, employment and HR and property. We have FTA Wealth, which deals with insurances and protection to make sure that people are adequately insured, even as an associate, but even more important when you own a dental practice. And then the last part of the jigsaw is FTA Media. So we have a, a video production business, which goes into dental practices and other businesses and creates headline videos, patient testimonials, team introductions, that side of things. So, yeah, we've kind of grown as a group, but it's been based on business services that dentists either need or have asked to see whether we could deliver. So, yeah, it's been enjoyable. It's been a good time. That's in a nutshell, but I know how how much work goes on behind the scene and how how long it's taken you to get here. But congratulations. That's such a such a good bag of different things to have because as you said it's not just one thing that goes into it there's lots of different things and it's very important for people to know where to get this information this advice and these services um so in your experience of 22 years should we say I'm sure you have much more experience than that um what's been the one of the most important things to consider when buying a dental practice because you know we're so as dentists we're so focused on the clinical side of things and we you know spend five years at uni going through how to mm. what to do clinically and then we come out and we're so clueless about the finance side of things and the business side of things um and then I think when you I mean I'll, I'll speak about myself and my own experiences I'm 
you know, you try and figure out the clinical side of things, then you try and figure out the finance side of things. And then when you do start thinking about buying a practice, you really don't know where to start. And my impression has always been that exactly like you're saying, if there is something good that's being sold, it won't get to me because it, it would get to people who are much more experienced than me or who are much more knowledgeable um, than somebody who is new and inexperienced in this field. Um, so what things do we need to consider as dentists? You know, how do we go about it when we first start considering buying yeah. a practice? I mean, just, just going back to your point about um, all your learning is clinical, it's, that's a big problem. And from a patient point of view, um, I don't really care whether you understand the difference between management and leadership or, or sales and marketing. Mm. I want you to be a good clinician. Mm. However, as a, as a dentist, it's really important that you do have a, a bare bones understanding of, of the business side of things. But that all becomes elective because it doesn't get covered off at dental school at all. And when you leave dental school, um, dentists are very keen to go on postgraduate courses mm. to learn how to do, to hone their clinical skills. Mm. But they don't seem to invest in the same way on the business side of things. It's kind of, you just learn from people you talk to. So I think for anybody who is thinking about buying a practice, if they could devote some of their CPD to the business aspect of their, of their life, that would be as important long-term as investing on the clinical side. So that's kind of as a start point. But if you're looking to buy a practice, the number one thing would be location. And that's a little mm -hmm. bit like when you're buying a house. Mm -hmm. 90 plus percent of people in the country who are looking to buy a practice aren't prepared to change their location for the practice they're going to buy. So what that means is that for most people, they're going to be limited probably by about 25 to 30 mile radius from where they live at the moment. So the location is going to be the biggest determining factor mm -hmm. as to where you'll buy your dental practice. And what tends to happen as well is um, lots of dentists tend to live in the big cities or they end up settling near where their dental school is because that's where they've built their network, their community, their friends. So by virtue of that, London, Liverpool, Manchester, Birmingham, Plymouth, Cardiff, the, these places tend to have lots of dentists, a high concentration of, of demand, which pushes prices up. But the location will determine where yeah. that, that's the most important thing. The, the next thing would be the, the fee type. So is this going to be an NHS practice? Would it be a private practice? Would it be a plan-based practice? Would it be a mixture? And the reason that's important is it will then be based on what your experience is so far. So if you've only ever worked on the NHS and you only understand the UDA system and you're comfortable working in that style of work, it might be foolish to go to a high-end private practice where the chair-side manner might be different, the pace of treatment will be different, the treatment plans will look different, what you're going to be charging patients is going to be different. So you need to get practice that perhaps show that leads into the experience you have so far, but possibly also gives you some, some ambition, some room for growth, but it does need to be relative to where you sit at the moment. And on that, it also has to have dentistry that's relevant to your own experience. So if you're say you're three, four years qualified, there's no point in going to practice that, that, that does very high-end specialist endo work because if you're not specialist in that area, you're going to have to bring an associate in to do that work, which is going to be expensive, which doesn't really work. So you need to look at the type of dentistry being delivered and make sure that you're comfortable and living that sort of dentistry. And then the last part is around size. And it's, it's size matters for two reasons. One, there's a management issue. So the, the size of the practice is going to have more people. So you've got to be comfortable managing a larger the number of people the size will also impact on the purchase price as well mm -hmm. so if you're looking to buy a, a full surgery practice and it's a busy full surgery practice that could be producing a million 1.2 million pounds of revenue that's going to have quite a, 
a decent profit and in turn quite a high price tag. That may or may not work for you as, a, as, a, as somebody who's looking to buy for the first time. But also that surgery, that practice could well have you know, 15, 20, 25 people, including part-time people working the practice. There's a big management responsibility there. So the size of the practice is important. Just on the money side of things, or on terms of, of size, um, at the moment, um, you need a deposit in the region of somewhere between 10 and 20% of the purchase price mm-hmm. of a practice you're looking to buy. So at the moment, the average price of a practice in the UK is around about 850, pounds So 900,000 pound purchase price, um, at the top end, you may have to have a 20% contribution, that'd be 180,000 pounds. At the bottom end, it could be 10%, which is only 90,000 pounds. I say only, that's still a significant sum of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's worth mentioning because for people who are thinking about buying in perhaps three to five years' time, it gives them time now to start making those reserves and building those savings. Mm-hmm. So when they're ready, they have their, their their deposit so that they can turn their dream into a reality. Yeah, that, that's very important, the things you mentioned. I didn't realise in terms of location because I've always been um, in London and I've been very you know loyal to London. I've stayed here through school, university work, and I don't like going outside. Um but I didn't realize that that's the reason why there's so much competition because of the dental schools, because we, we only have like 13 or 14 dental schools. So it's very specific to which areas you have clusters of lots of dentists. And then there will be areas where there's no dentists. But I guess yeah. with a lot of people, it's difficult for them to make the move just for that, because obviously their friends, their family, their entire network would be in a specific place. So that's why there's a lot of competition in certain clusters of the country. Yeah. But I guess if somebody was brave enough and business minded that way, they would make the sacrifice to move somewhere where there's a lot less competition. Oh, and, and the prices are much less. Yeah. Um, if you think of the, the motorway network in the UK, if you think about if you look at a map of the UK, look where the big blue lines are. The big blue lines tend to join the major cities. Mm. So, you know, the, the, typically the M1 would run up to Birmingham, then run up to Manchester and Liverpool. If you think of the, the motorway that runs out to Suffolk and Norfolk, it's, it's the M11. And the mm. M11 finishes at Cambridge. And you haven't really got deep into Suffolk and Norfolk. So trying to get around those counties isn't as easy. So people don't migrate as much. But also there isn't the density of population as well. Yeah. because there just aren't as many patients to see and by virtue of that there aren't as many people wanting to buy which mean that values drop so you're right if you were mobile and you were able to look at practices in the southwest of england or east anglia or the northwest northeast you know as in you know the northwest northeast heading up towards scotland yeah the, the values would be perhaps a third of what mm. you would see in yeah. the larger cities and the reason they are so low is most people as you've just said you like london you yeah. live in London, that's where you went to school, that's where you qualified. So I can't see somebody like you wanting to leave London. You're not You're not unusual. There's lots of people that think like that. And that's why the values in the large cities stay high. Yeah. And there's a difference between the large cities and some of those outer regions. Yeah. Um, going back to competition, I mean, this is something my opinion on, on this has changed a lot in recent years. So I used to think that competition was really, really bad. So if you have a specific uh, practice, you shouldn't have any practices nearby because you have to be the only practice serving that community. But recently, my opinion on this has changed because you will see clusters where there's about, I mean, around where I live, there's, I think, literally about four or five dental practices literally across the road from each other. And, and they're all doing well. They're all successful. They've been here for years. And 
my opinion is that competition isn't necessarily a bad thing in terms of location now. I mean, if you see coffee shops, if you see supermarkets, you might see a Tesco, Sainsbury's and a Waitrose right next to each other because they do have the customers there. So some of them, it, it will be distributed between them. What's your opinion on competition, local competition between dental practices? Is it a positive thing or a negative thing? Uh, I think if you're a business owner, you see it as a negative thing. It's a nuisance because they're going to be nicking your, your patients. But I think if you step back, I think generally competition in markets is a good thing. Yeah. I think competition um, drives innovation. I think it keeps you on your toes from a marketing perspective. I think it makes sure you, you truly care that your patients are happy. You truly care that they're telling their friends that they go to a good dentist. So I think from a, from a business point of view, it's actually better than having no competition. Yeah. yeah, I think back to when when I bought Frank Tan Associates back in 2000, there was very little competition in my market, that there was only one other business that really did what we did. And I think that we're better today than we were back then. I think it, it bred complacency. I think it, it keeps you on your toes. Mm -hmm. I, I think the challenge that it brings is that you need to make sure that you, you never back off. Um, and I think competition, in, in days of old, it used to be the practice down the road, but particularly with the advent of social media, and I know you're, you're great on social media with the content you Thank produce, you. but what that means is that people will see you from all over the country. So if someone in Liverpool saw your content and said, oh, that, that's really clever, that's really interesting, I never knew that, and they mm -hmm. message you, depending on the sort of treatment they want, they may jump on the train or drive from Liverpool down to yeah. see you, and I'm sure you have patients seeing you from a very wide, yeah. wide area. So competition isn't just the practice down the road. You know, you're competing with people nationwide because you've got a platform on social media to be able to do that. So I think people need to look at kind of competition in tiers and, and make sure that, that yeah. what, they're, what they're offering is relevant to the local community, but also they're not blind to people who have got a message and are sharing a message outside of their local geographic area yeah. because they're targeting their patients through digital channels. Yeah, and I think it makes you, competition makes you be very clear about what you're doing, because if you pay attention, everybody will be doing something slightly differently. So the practice down the road might be doing some general dentistry, and that's that, they're very good at it, and that's all they do, whereas we might be doing something entirely different, and you're all going to be attracting slightly different clientele. And I think there's enough to go around for everybody, but it just makes you be a bit more clear about what you're doing and you can use it as a referral source I think from the practice yeah. down the road if you're doing something different to them so there's different ways of looking at it but definitely I think I'm sensing that I'm getting a little bit more mature in my old age and learning a bit more to see this as a positive thing rather than a negative yeah no, absolutely and, and what you say is right I think if you craft who your ideal patient is you then know who to say yes to and who to say no to because if you just say yes to everybody, you end up with no capacity yeah. to treat that perfect patient. So I think, yeah, I, I think it, it, it makes sense. And then also you want to be known for something. If you don't stand for anything, you feel, you know, you just don't stand out. So you, you've got to have a position. You've got to say who you are and what you're about. I mean, I'm known for my TikToks, but I'm not sure if that's a positive thing or a negative thing. But <laughs> I, think it's, I, I think it's very positive. I think Time they're great. <laughs> So in your experience of dealing with lots of dentists, um, what has been your experience in what most of us don't know about the process of buying a practice? I mean, we're, we're as, as a profession, I think we're very knowledgeable about certain things, but we're completely clueless about other things. So do we have something in common that most of us don't know that you wish we did? <laughs> um, I think most people, and this is on the seller side as opposed to the buyer side, most people don't um, prepare enough in advance. So people would come and ask for their practice to be valued 
and then immediately move on to the stage you want it, it to be sold. Um, the sale process has, has two words attached to it that, that, that people that have been through the process, it gives them shifts, it's called due diligence. And effectively, it's all the, the legal paperwork they need to bundle together to give to their solicitor, um, which is the history of their practice, employment contracts, their NHS contract, uh, their CQC files, da, 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 da. But people generally don't have those available. If the practice owner spent two or three months getting their paperwork in order before they started the process, not only would their transaction be quicker, but it would also be less stressful. Mm -hmm. So I think from, from that side of things, if people could get better prepared from a seller's point of view, that, that would be good. But I think there's also a lack of preparation on the buyer side of things as well. So I was going back to that, that issue around how much can you afford? Mm -hmm. um, you wouldn't, if you were buying a house, you wouldn't start looking at five bedroom detached mansions on the Bishop's Avenue because they're probably out of your price league if, if you're a first time buyer. And the same principle applies to dental practices. You need to understand what deposit you have, what support a bank will give you, what does that mean in terms of a total purchase price, and then start looking at practices that, that meet, meet that criteria. So I think getting prepared on the buyer and the seller side of things is, is really important. And it means that you go into that environment much better informed than, than you would have been. I think another issue that people don't appreciate is the time it takes mm -hmm. to buy or sell a dental practice. It, it typically runs at like eight, eight and a half months, which is an extraordinary amount of time. There's there's nothing else that I'm aware of that takes that long as a process to go through. You know, you can go and buy a, a chocolate bar in seconds, you can buy a car in a day, and you can buy a house in a couple of months. So we have an environment which tests people in terms of their patience and their resilience. I understand why it takes so long, because you know, there's the NHS contract to be transferred, there's a property lease, there's fund, funding to be arranged, there's the, the, the bank valuation. I understand why, but it is still quite a long process. So if people appreciate this is a long haul they're going into, they then understand that one, as a buyer, you need to continue to work on as an associate and mm -hmm. you know, you devote your time to buy the practice, but you, you need to keep working in, in, in the background. And from the seller side of things, you need to keep running your practice as is yours, but make sure that you're doing all the things that the solicitor asks for you. And I think the last thing that people don't appreciate is, is how stressful it is. And even working with a broker who can take a lot of that for you, you know, it's still stressful because as a buyer, you get stressed and excited that you're going to be taking over to practice and you want it to happen and it's taking longer than you think and from the seller side of things you get frustrated for the same reasons yeah. so i think if you get prepared at the front end i think you can make your transaction time shorter mm -hmm. but also you can take some of the stress out of the process uh, because when it gets to the end most people are pretty exhausted you know on the buyer and the seller side they're, they're, they're exhausted imagine. they've got there and mm -hmm. from the seller's point of view they're exhausted but quite often they're moving on to another chapter of their life, which doesn't involve only a business. From a buyer's point of view, you know, there's a big Barely sigh of relief. And that's the thing, there's a yeah. big sigh of relief that they've just completed, but then somebody drops the keys in their hand, and suddenly now they've got to go and like motivate <laughs> their team and, and, and run the business. So <laughs> it's, yeah, but I'd say those are probably the key things. Do you know, the, the thing that stresses me out, even thinking about it, is the, the uncertainty of it all, because I think... In the UK, I think buying and selling is, whether you're doing a house or, or a practice, it's very difficult in that you don't know until literally the last minute where you complete. You can go through months and months of work, but at any stage, yeah. technically any of them could pull out, they might lose a deposit or something, but there's no confirmation that this practice is yours until you've completed. 
And again, that could be from the buyer side or the seller side. I think that would be the thing that would stress me out most of all to go through all that headache and know that actually at some point or be anxious that at some point it could all go wrong. Yeah, and and the, the nature of the UK legal system is is such that um, until contracts are exchanged, and until you formally sign the contract, and exchange of contracts typically will be no more than a few days before completion. So mm-hmm. you're right, you have this six, seven, eight month process where you hope you're going to be right on the business, but there's no guarantee that it will be your until you you sign those contracts. Equally, to give you some comfort um, for the deals that that French and Associates are involved in over 97% of them from an offer being accepted, which is the, at the beginning of the process, 97% of deals do complete. So whilst, if, for, for, whilst for you, yes, it's stressful in that moment, um, very few practices don't complete. And the ones that don't complete, um, quite often it's to do with a third-party landlord. Mm-hmm. And what a third-party landlord is, is if you're buying a dental practice as a leasehold, it means that you're not going to own the property, but you have a formal lease that enables you to operate your business from that site. And because of the somebody else owns a property, quite often they're not as amenable and helpful as mm. they should be. Mm. And quite often we see landlord issues. Mm. But that's the majority of why deals fall over. But it's very rare once a deal has been agreed that it doesn't get through to completion. So, yeah, I take your point. It is stressful, yeah. but most deals do get there. Yeah, that's reassuring. It's good to know. <laughs> so from an, from an experience point of view, um, I mean, the more experience that I get, the more I realize that actually you can never be, you can never have enough experience. So the more yeah. I learn about anything in life, the more I realize there's so much more to learn. And for me, it was always about realizing when am I ready to commit to buying a practice? Because for me, it's always been um, a certainty that that's what I want in my career. That's mm. the next stage that I want to take my career. But it's always been about, am I ready? Am I clinically ready to take on this additional huge responsibility of running a practice as well as being a practicing dentist? In your experience, what's been, what's worked well for people? And when do you think people can be ready? I mean, I know it's diff- diff- different for every single person, but mm. is, there, is there a lower limit to when you can be ready to buy? I mean, in your experience, what have the buyers been? How many years qualified? So I've seen people that have literally um, started to go through the process of buying a practice or exploring buying a practice when they're in the foundation year. And literally, as soon as, as, soon as they, 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 they they kind of wow. throw their mortarboard in the air and get their GDC number, they want to buy a practice. Um, and equally, I've seen people who I spoke to a chap yesterday, he's mid 40s, um, uh, been working as an associate for many years and has just got that itch and just fancies only practice. So those are the extremes. Mm-hmm. I'd say typically it's somewhere around five to, 70, five to seven years post-qualified. That's kind of the, the, the window where people kind of say, right, I've qualified, um, I've settled down, I've enjoyed a few years of earning some money. Because mm-hmm. when you're a student, you don't have that much money. So it's quite nice to earn some money and mm-hmm. go on holiday to Ibiza or wherever else and, and <laughs> enjoy a few years. And, and then kind of you've got to add up. At some point, you've got to add up and grow up and you need to think about your future. We're all trying that's to postpone that as much as we can. That's, that's yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah, like I say, it's a, it's, it's a trap. Don't grow up. You know, it's, a, it's, it's a trap. <laughs> but that five to seven year window tends to be when we get lots of people just saying, look, I'm, I'm thinking about buying a practice. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably a combination of, um, some maturity in there where I think people start to realise that they need to start be thinking because remember the dentist is a career this is a this is probably going to be a 
20, 30 year decision for people to, to mm -hmm. do it in, in the long run. So they start to realize that they need to look at their long-term future, which for many is, is practice ownership. But also they get to a stage where they're feeling more comfortable in their clinical skills. You know, you come out of dental school and you understand clinically what to do, but you've not necessarily practiced it to yeah. the extent that you'd like with, with real patients. You feel more confident in your, your clinical and your interpersonal skills. Uh, and perhaps you've also seen the practice you worked in and you think, well, I could do this. Why couldn't I do this? And there's also the money aspect as well, which is five to seven years in, quite often people have started to build some savings. Um, they can see a pathway there where they might be able to get that money together for a deposit. So that tends to be a typical window. Mm -hmm. But there's no, there's no rule that says it's too early or too late. And it's easy to talk yourself out of it. It's easy to come up with reasons as to, oh, well, I won't do it this year because I'm going to commit and I'm going to do a, you know, a master's and, and, and that's going to cost me 30, 40 minutes. So I'll, I'll get the master's out of the way and then I'll, then I'll move on and do it. And I, mean, I won't do it this year because, you know, I've got some family weddings and some friends' weddings. So it's easy to find reasons not to do things. Yeah. But I'm a big believer as well. That I think naivety is a, is a superpower yeah. in that I think if we truly knew all the things that were coming towards us, we wouldn't do lots of things. Blissful ignorance, and a, I think. And exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think there's a danger that if you leave, if you leave it too late, you see so many scenarios that, that don't work out by your own definition. You find reasons not to you. do things. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's a big deal. You know, you're going to be putting a lot of money on the line. Other people's livelihoods are going to be dependent on decisions you make. However, people do it all the time. And yeah. it is very doable. And that's that thing about that naivety. I think sometimes it's having the confidence and the conviction of your own ability to take it forward and, and do it, but also not be shy to ask questions. It's not always on you. Just because you're going to be the business owner, it doesn't mean you need to know the answers. You should know all the answers. It's okay to say, I'm not entirely sure. Or you can ask somebody else or you can get the people around you to help you come up with the answers. I think this is the thing about us realizing that we're never going to know everything so it's it's mm. never going to be you're never going to have a light bulb moment where you're going to be like okay now I know everything clinically and about running a business so now I'm going to commit to buying a practice that that moment is never going to come it's a decision to make and know that you're not going to know everything but you can find the answers when when the time comes I think it's yeah, and that. it's a and it's a it's a it's a journey of discovery and most people only buy one practice they, own, they buy one practice they own their practice they love it and then in 15, 20 years time, they, they, they sell their practice. There aren't many people who buy and sell, buy and sell. Yeah, we see lots of people online who are having amazing success and they're building groups and, and, and they buy practices and they grow it and they sell it and they buy another one. Those are the, they're the outliers. They really are. Yeah, most people um, will either continue to work as, as associates and be outstanding clinicians. And, and on that particular point, being an associate, being a dentist is, is incredible. It's an incredible job. There's no need for people to feel they have to buy a dental practice. Mm. You, know, you can still have an amazing career and, and do life-changing things working as an associate. So it, it, it saddens me a bit when you hear people feeling like from a status point of view, they have to buy a practice because that feels like somehow they're, they're more worthy. It's not the case at all. And with the way that things are working now with, with digital marketing, you know, you're talking about TikTok and, and with Instagram. There's lots of people who are having phenomenal success mm. using those channels and they don't own dental practices. But lots of people think they do because they're so high profile. So yeah. the, the, the pathway to the future doesn't necessarily mean you have to own a dental practice. However, only practice does bring you other, other rewards and other things that being an associate doesn't.
Yeah. Can I just ask, in terms of, this is me being completely clueless, but in terms of being an associate and being a practice owner, would one be more lucrative than another or it completely depends on how that individual is? So if you take the extremes, there will be associates that earn lots more than some practice owners. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can go the other way and you say there's associates that earn a lot less than some practice owners. Uh, As a rule of thumb, a practice owner would earn more than an associate. Um, Not necessarily from from day one. Um, In the early days when there's a big bank loan and you're learning what you need to do, um, it may not be as lucrative because... As an associate, you may work, say you work three and a half, four days a week as an associate, and, and, and many do. When you move into only running a dental practice, you need to commit time to running the business yeah. as well as seeing patients clinically. You may struggle to work three and a half, four clinical days because while you're getting to groups with running the business and um, doing appraisals with your team or design, design your marketing strategy, there's only so many days in the week and people may have a family life as well. So it mm-hmm. might stretch them. So it might compromise their own ability to produce a gross in the first year or two. So immediately you may not make more money. However, once things settle down, what a business does for you is not only do you still produce your own personal gross, but if you have therapists and hygienists and associates, they're also producing revenue into that business and there will be a, a, a profit that comes from them. Mm-hmm. The, the profit from the work they do isn't as lucrative as the work that you do yourself as a principal because obviously you have to pay them to do the work. Yeah. But it does it does add to the bottom line. So at the moment as an associate, if you take a holiday in that week or that two-week period, you're, you're not earning any money. Whereas as a principal, you can take a holiday and your practice will continue to cover the cost and, and make a profit. Or if you went on a, a course somewhere, that practice would continue to produce, to produce mm. profit for you. Um, so as a rule of thumb, yes, you would, you would make more money as a, as a practice owner than as an associate, but also it brings you so much more. Yeah, if you're passionate about a vision that you have what a practice would be, it gives you that ability to deliver that vision. If you really enjoy working with people and managing people and taking them on that journey with you, as a principal, you get to do that, whereas you perhaps wouldn't as an associate. So I think there's lots of other things that it yeah. brings you beyond money, but I appreciate that, that money is an important part of that equation. Yeah, just because I think we don't know enough about it and, and it's it's people get funny about talking about these things when they don't know the answer. And I think it's important to ask because it's not the only factor, but it is something to consider for people and at least to know and go in it with open eyes. Oh, absolutely. And if you don't know the answer, it's not a stupid question. And I think there's a danger that because dentists are, you know, minimum degree educated, there's an expectation that, that, that you should know this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not fair because you're, you're, you're technicians, you're scientists. You know, you've, you've learned a very specific thing and that didn't include business. So it's unreasonable to expect you to understand this. I think the more questions that can be asked and the more you know, things like what you're doing here to share it to a wider audience, the better. Because it's a, it's a big investment. It's a big commitment. And part of my job is to try and help educate people so they make the best decision possible. If that decision isn't by practice, I'm completely fine with that. But at least they've done it consciously with with some good information yeah absolutely so to sum up if you wanted to give three very short brief pieces of advice nuggets of gold to somebody considering buying a practice um what would you say to them i think the the first thing is produce a wish list mm-hmm. so if you're looking to buy practice produce a wish list of what you want and and if location is number one then put that wish list in the bin and start again because it, it should be number one <laughs> yeah, that needs to be the most important thing um, I would also make sure that you um, 
get yourself pre-qualified or pre-approved for finance. So speak to somebody who understands finance and they can genuinely tell you what you'd be able to spend on a dental practice. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is look at lots of practices. You know, it's, it's, it's unlikely that you're going to look at just one practice and that's going to be the one. You know, if you, if you think about, I don't know, whether it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a car or a house, the chances of the first one you ever saw being the one is, is unlikely. Therefore, mm-hmm. if you register with an agent and you start to get some prospectus through, just look at them. And even if you're not interested in that particular practice, try and understand what that practice looks like. You know, what's the income? What's the profit? You know, what sort of dentistry does it do? How many people work there? Mm. Just you can get a flavour for what practice look like. Most dentists only get to see the, the four walls of their surgery and then the larger four walls of the practice they work in. So having the opportunity to look at other practice will start to broaden your horizons of what out there. I think if you draw up a list of, of what you'd like your dream practice to look like, if you get pre-approved for finance, you know what you can afford, and you start to look at practices that are on the market, if you did those, you'll see your knowledge grow mm-hmm. at a rapid rate. Yeah, and I guess it would make you feel a little bit more comfortable about whether you're ready or experienced enough to do that, because the more you see it initially, it will look really alien to you, everything, especially the numbers. I remember the accounts when I first got one for a practice. They look so alien to you. But once you start reading them a couple of times, you start to understand them and they're a little bit less scary. I think that when you... Exactly. And, and also do what you said, you know, if you're not sure, ask a question. Yeah. There is people out there that, that know the answers to these questions. So if you get a set of accounts and you don't know what, what the information in those accounts is, it's okay to ask. You know, we have foodish things like we have gross fee income, turnover, gross fees, they're, they're all the same sales. thing. I just, this, this stuff is yeah. very important. Exactly. But, but we, have, we, have, we have different words for the yeah. same thing. It's really unhelpful. But in essence, <laughs> the, way the, the way a dental practice works is it's really simple. There's a line at the top, and that's, that's fees from the patient. That's the income. That's, yeah. that's, that's the big number that comes in. Everything after that is a cost. And then the bit that's left over, when you take away all the costs from the income, that's called net profit. That, or loss. It doesn't need to be any more complicated. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. And anybody who tries to dress it up as being more complicated than that, either they don't understand it well themselves, or they're trying to to trick you somehow. Because it is, it's not that complicated. And if yeah. you can distill it down to that, and you understand how those fees are generated, who generates them, what are the costs, and are they broad in line with where you expect them to be, and is the bit that's left over reasonable? If you can just understand that, and you can see different practices and the different profiles of those practices that will be a great learning exercise and then when a practice comes on that you might think is suitable you're going to be able to benchmark that against others you've seen to work out whether you think it's a good one for you or not yeah absolutely well thank you so much Andy for all of that lots of nuggets of gold no. there I'm sure it's been reassuring for a lot of us and it's it's just about <laughs> focus, focusing isn't it what, what to look for and just to start, I think, is, is the most important thing. Yeah. And also, if you're going to do it, um, you have to carve out time and commit to it. You know, if we, anything in our life that's going well, we've generally given it attention. And buying a dental practice requires attention. So it's not something you could just do half an hour in the evening and just flick through a couple of prospectuses. You, you need to say, right, I'm now on a journey. I, I want to buy a dental practice. And you need to make sure that you really apply yourself because one it's going to take time to buy a business and two once you bought it it's, it's, it's going to be so important that, that you get it right so i think people need to make sure that they they commit time to it and, and, and do it properly i 
really hope you've enjoyed this episode and hopefully learned a few things. I know I certainly did. And as always, don't forget to let me know what you thought of this episode. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Dr. Shadi Manicherry. I always love hearing your responses. And if you have any requests for future podcast episodes, please let me know there. I do usually listen if there are specific requests that are quite popular. As always, there will be a new episode every week. So please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode. And I can't wait to speak to you soon.